Welcome to another episode of That's a Rap Podcast. I'm your co-host and producer, Jason Lung. We got a special episode for you Raptor fans as Dre and I cross enemy lines to join the Celtics Pride Podcast to preview the Raptors versus Celtics round two matchup coming up this Thursday. It was a great time to speak with these guys from the Celtics Pride Podcast, and we got some insight on some Celtics players, and to no one's surprise, they respect the hell out of the Raptors. We preview player matchups, coaching matchups, bench and x-factors and of course give our predictions of who will win this seven game series make sure to check us out on twitter at that's a rep pod instagram on that's a rep podcast and email us at that's a rep podcast at gmail.com and search up raptors age crew on your podcatchers. do us a solid and leave us a five-star rating i'll send you a virtual high five until next time everyone that's a rep Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on CelticsBlog.com. We have a special edition today. It's a bit of a crossover as we have special guests, Andreas Dre Babiolakis and Jason Lung from the That's a Rap Raptors Focus podcast on Raptors HQ blog. It's another SB Nation cross podcast. So we're going to be talking today about this second round matchup. Jason and Dre, thank you for joining us today. We're excited to do this. Not at all, man. Thank, Thank you so much for having us, brother. So I'm Adam Motenko. I've got my crew here with me today. Josh Motenko, my twin brother. What's up, Josh? That's right, everybody. I got to be twin brothers with the guy who's got a radio voice. But you should see his face. Mike. I have a face for radio. And Mike well, Minkoff joining as well. Well, we're identical twins, so you got my face. You know, So there you go. All right, we're, we're done listening to the Motenkos. Hey, all this is Mike. <laughs> so as we did about a week ago with the Philadelphia crew, we're going to be switching off, asking each other questions. You guys are the experts on the Raptors. We're the experts on the Celtics. So we want to learn from each other. Coming into this series, uh, first game is on Thursday. The Raptors open up as slight favorites, but 538, their Car- Carmelo analysis has the Celtics as slight favorites. And I think the biggest thing that we're all thinking about are injuries. Gordon Hayward went down a week ago uh, with a grade three ankle sprain. He's going to be out, supposedly be out for four weeks. Um, so that puts him his return around Monday, 9-14. So he's very likely out for this uh, entire series. Kyle Lowry had another ankle sprain in the last game, left in the first quarter, didn't return. He had an MRI. He's, we've been told that he has a, an ankle sprain, but as of mm-hmm. Monday evening when we're, we are recording this, uh, there's no information on his status other than we will learn more later. So, uh, Jason and Dre, is this the Raptors withholding information? You think Kyle Lowry is healthy and they just want to make it difficult for the Celtics to plan? Or does he have an injury and is he going to be out for some time? After watching Lowry for God knows how long with the Raptors, man, if Lowry is hurt in any way whatsoever, he's going to try his damned hardest to play and yes by you know the the last update i saw was from sham saying that lowry has been diagnosed with a left ankle sprain the status will be updated later what that means i have no idea as long as i don't see like a tbd or like a a game time decision come thursday i feel like lowry is going to play trey do you feel the same brother i do unless he's being held back or literally cannot even get up or 
perform basic basketball moves. The guy's going to play. He could have like an eyeball dangling out and be like, nah, man, my left eye is good. I can still see the yeah. net. Like, you know, he's still going to go at it. So he's by far the, the heart and soul of, of Raptors. And yeah, like it shows that the Raptors don't necessarily need uh, Lowry. They, they were our 12 and two when it comes to Lowry uh, not playing. But I mean, you want Lowry to play. Uh, you we have we have stars yes but Lowry is the heart of of the Raptors team so I'm at least for me I'm hoping he's playing so given that he's the heart and soul what is the impact if he does have to miss some time uh and then it falls to Fed Van Vliet Which... and and if if anybody is going yeah. to you know bring this team to uh, the promised land it's going to be the the, the one time MV, uh, MVP uh you know, voted in the finals, uh, Fred, Mr. Fred Van Vliet Sr. And the, you, you know, newly appointed coach of the year, uh, Nick Nurse. I, I feel like with or without Lowry, this team still has a really good chance. But I mean, you know, like like Kyle Lowry is a bulldog, man. It's it's not the stats that he puts up. It's really everything else that he does that's on the floor, the, the team leading, the charges that he takes, the steals, like the chirping too. Like it just kind of gives this mentality for the Raptors that none, no other Raptor player really has yeah it's the spacing on the floor it's uh the the emphasis on taking charges like people made fun of him for taking a charge in the all-star game but Mm -hmm. that's basically what he does he's amazing at doing a lot of the things that a lot of players don't really focus on and um look i think the biggest kind of shift that'll happen if he's not there is perhaps maybe siakam will have to take on even more of a leadership role as opposed to doing the one-two punch between him and Lowry taking the reins as leaders of the team. But I think um, otherwise there is so much depth on the Toronto Raptors that it'll be, it'll at least be some sort of a blow. Let's not kid ourselves, but I think we have a lot of ulterior plans. So like plans B, C, D, all the way to multiple digits yeah like so i think we'll be all right but of course we don't want the guy who's like the the sole figurehead of however many of the last years of the raptors franchise to go down especially with who could easily be the toughest opponent we face this entire playoffs should we go for is so the status for uh gordon hayward he's most likely out for this series at least yeah he was diagnosed with a grade three ankle sprain which is oh I believe the worst uh, you can have and and may include a tear of the ankle. So he was given four weeks as a, the initial timetable for return. Um, he also, his wife is also due to give birth sometime in September. There's been a little bit of talk of like they, they, there was inquiry about whether they could schedule a C-section around the same time so that he's, he's wow. out for the same time. But of course, typically you're not trying to schedule a C-section based on a partner's work schedule. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So Adam, Adam follows his OBGYN on Twitter. So he's up to <laughs> No kidding. Okay. Hey, do we, have we heard if he's left the bubble? He has not. No, right? I don't think I, I haven't heard anything about that and nor have I heard any updates on, on how he's doing, but I fully, ex- I would be shocked if he came back, during this series because i this is scheduled to take two weeks if it goes seven games and he still would have another week left so i would not expect him back at all mike what do you see as the impact of hayward missing this series well i think he is his injury 
hurts the Celtics against the Raptors probably more than any other team. Um, I think you don't have to you don't have to go too far uh, into the the coffers of Celtics fans to to find a, a fair share of P, of Hayward detractors. He's had a pretty bumpy ride as a Celtic, um, but I you know what he does is he does add to our versatility and depth. He's obviously a, a big, uh, pretty athletic wing with a solid outside shooting stroke that can pass. He, he's a ball mover, not a ball stopper, which is valuable. And he kind of will, willingly takes a tertiary or, or lower role in our offense, um, enabling uh, the the better players like Tatum and Kemba to have poor, more prominent scoring role. Um, against the Raptors, which is one of the few teams to my mind that has like the actual athleticism and, and kind of versatility, both offensively and and defensively that lines up with the Celtics. Um, It kind of hurts our ability to stress that defense um, because, you know, he's had some, some really solid games in our, in our head to head matchups during the regular season, uh, which, which we've, which have gone in our favor so far. We, mm-hmm. we won this regular season series three to one, uh, you know, for probably not worth a whole lot <laughs> in a normal playoffs, let alone this playoffs in this uh, bubble world. But uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not thrilled that we don't have Hayward ready. I don't know, Adam, Josh, yeah. what, what do you guys think? I, I agree, Mike. I think it's, we would have gone after a size mismatch on one of your guards if Hayward was in the lineup. Hayward being out of the lineup means we don't have the Tatum Brown Hort uh, Hayward like trio out there against one right. small guard. Uh, it means Marcus Smart is now inserted in there, and that's not the same kind of mismatch on a Van Vliet. So that's a mismatch we would we don't have right now, um, and it also shortens our bench now instead of. Smart coming off the bench, he's starting, and and our bench players are can be hit or miss, you know, uh, depending on who you talk to. So yeah, uh, Hayward, Hayward, he he's so unselfish that we lose some ball move, movement. Um, he's still a higher level scorer in the NBA, and we would typically he would be one of the primary ball handlers and scorers on the second unit, um, and so that would allow him being in the game would allow us to have two or more high-level scorers and creators on the floor at, at all times. Without that, now um, you're mixing and matching a little bit more, trying to keep Tatum or Kemba on the floor uh, with Marcus Smart when Jalen Brown goes to the bench um, or when the other is going to the bench. So, And, I mean, I think our bench is, is pretty weak, uh, especially compared to a bench like yours that, broke a record scoring 100 points in game four against Brooklyn. Yes, How does that feel? What's what's it like to live in a world where your bench can score 100 points? I, I Man, I thought that's crazy. We had, <laughs> like, granted, it was because, like, Lowry only played nine minutes and also Fred Van Vliet was... Helps, uh, yeah. Yeah, Fred Van Vliet was, uh, I think, troubled Three with... Fouls, um, like, really yeah, in, like, the beginning. Like, so, so the fact that we have Norman Powell come off the bench, he had, like, 27 that last game. Uh, Serge Ibaka went crazy with, like, 29 or something like that. Like, the, the bench... Uh, our bench is, is, is pretty up there. However, because of that 100 points, it kind of stymies the fact that they haven't really played the best or the fact that 
or maybe like to its potential, I think, from the beginning of uh, this series or even like in the start of the bubble season. Uh, mm-hmm. So, th- you know, the fact that we had we did get 100, that's that's a, that's incredible. That, that That's fantastic. But that I would rather have the win. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm hoping someone someone like Powell um, would the, the fact that he has to come off the bench. Well, granted, if Lowry is playing, Powell is the one who's going to come off the bench and give that spark. I feel like he's the the Marcus Smart. He's like the 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 energy booster, the uh, the person who kind of changes the game a little bit. So I'm I'm hoping someone like Powell can can kind of break in and change the flow of the game. What do you think, Dre? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's interesting because we did get 100 points, but there are a lot of factors. Like you said, Lowry leaving early, uh, Van Vliet needing to be subbed out. Garbage um, time. Which, let's be honest, the entire fourth quarter was garbage time. Yeah, and, true. Um, this was against a depleted Nets team that just didn't want to give up, and I give them all the kudos for doing so. Um, and the, the, the number 100 is just so even. And just so lovely to look at, but it, you don't see the slight sloppiness that we saw with the the, the mere minutes we got from Rondé Hollis Jefferson, for instance, or um, anything like that. So uh, it's still not perfect. I think it was just a fantastic opportunity, and it was a great way to get some practice in for yeah, a bench mob that the league has been. Um, giving big kudos to for a number of years where in the bubble, they kind of had a bit of a rough start uh, between yeah the bench mob and Pascal Siaka, but they're still, they're still figuring out their footing. And yeah. um, the 100 is great. I think it was more so the opportunity that arose as opposed to necessarily like what literally the, the bench was doing. So to me, it's like the, the Kobe 81, which is a fantastic stat and also uh, happy Kobe Bryant day, rest in peace. Um, Wait a minute! Wait a minute, Dre! Wait a minute. So this is a, this was a blowout, right? Yes, but to me, this this feels like the opportunity where it's like Kobe seized this this Raptors team as opposed to is that amazing or is it the fact that he was scoring sixty every game? That's like okay, that's what makes him a solid player. It wasn't just this one instance. So can we ha- muster up that ability to make this not just the one game where we have this amazing stat with a bench mob? Is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious because this is seems like both teams are coming off of an easy series against dysfunctional teams. Yeah. We both had an easy time with that. Um, and maybe you all knew that ahead of time and we didn't, but it was easy nonetheless. And in this series, neither team's going to move on if they don't take it seriously. And for the Celtics, like we went up against a team with at least stars, you know, on the team and a personal storyline with the, our beloved Hayward and how unlikely that's turned out. Um, so I guess I got two questions for you. Who do you think is less prepared for this series? Which team based on the last series they played or, you know, what are the personal storylines in this series? If there are any, well, the the biggest storyline I can think of is Kimba Walker, who is an amazing player and finally has won a playoff series. The guy was in Charlotte for, for too long. Like, like it's insane. So I think, um, here's where it gets crazy. I think the leaders of the Celtics team are stronger than the Raptors. However, I don't believe, to the best of my knowledge, and you guys can correct me because you're the experts here, Tatum or Brown, certainly not Kemba Walker, certainly not Gordon Hayward, they've never been super-duper far in the playoffs before. Whereas 
the, the Raptors have. So in a weird way, I believe that there's a slight edge in that respect. But on the other hand, there's also the it's it all depends on Lowry, like this big up in the air question of is he going to be back? What adjustments have to be made? Um, and let's be honest, I love the Raptors. I think we've got a good shot. We don't have a superstar. And that's very important in in a playoff series where with with the Celtics, it's almost like each day you have a different answer. Tatum could be the superstar. It could be Kemba Walker. Could be Jalen Brown, who's one of the biggest steals in draft recent history. Like you could have a different answer at any point. So really, I think there are pros and cons to both lineups, and mm-hmm. it just depends on a game by game basis who prepared better. Well, so on on that, I mean, before you even started kind of turning the conversation to the superstar talk, and mm-hmm. I I think uh, the three of us, uh, Adam, Josh, and I, are all in, in firm agreement at this point. You know, this is Jason Tatum's team. Like period, like and it certainly will can, be. Can, yeah. can, but it it already is. I think. I mean, certainly from my perspective, and mm-hmm. the Philly series bore that out. Um, from you know, from for you guys, uh, and then you know, there's probably a little bias here in the, your answer. But uh, who do you trust more in this playoff series, uh, game in, game out? Jason Tatum or Pascal Siakam? I'm gonna say Tatum because Siakam's being a little wishy-washy, but he he does have signs that he's gonna be solid again. So I don't worry. But uh, Jay, what do you think? A, yeah, see, that's the thing. I mean, as as far as playoff P or like playoff Pascal for that matter, in the playoffs he's been averaging, he's been pr- doing oh like pretty well, superstar level, not like Tatum. Like Tatum is averaging what 27 a game, uh, 45 percent from three. Like he's been he's been going crazy. Pascal, on the other hand, he's been doing okay, 20 per uh, 20 points per game, 41 percent from field goal range. And I think the most shoddy, if anything, is his threes, uh, which he's yep. only been uh, connected to 28% of the, of the time. However, we always talk about this and with like Raptors Twitter, with when we always go on our podcast, it's always when it comes to Siakam, everyone says we don't see the superstardom when it comes to Siakam. And I don't think he really necessarily needs to be because Siakam is definitely the the second all-star when it came to that team with Kawhi. But now all he kind of has to do is follow the leaders around him. So you have Kyle, Fred Van Vliet. And much like Jerry was saying, where, you know, one day could be Kemba for Boston, could be Jalen, could be, and definitely could be Jason. I think it's the same thing when it comes to the Raptors. It could be Pascal one day. It could be Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Serge Ibaka. We saw Norman Powell. It could be all these different things. So, yes, and to answer the question, I think Jason Tatum is definitely the bona fide superstar over the Pascal Siakam, but I feel like Siakam just, he doesn't necessarily need to be. He just kind of right. needs to play his own game and trust that he has the, his, you know, his backmates and his, uh, centers to help him when it comes to defensive end because Pascal uh, is going to take on the the toughest assignment on the defensive end himself and OG Ananobi those two are the tandems that are going to play a lot of defense and I'm excited to see either who's taking uh, Jason Tatum because I feel like it's going to be either Pascal or OG. You you asked the question about um, the experience in the playoffs two years ago the Celtics this Celtics team with uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum leading the way with an injured Gordon Hayward and an injured Kyrie Irving took the Philadelphia 76ers to game seven of the Eastern conference finals. That's the farthest this team has gone. Certainly not as far as winning the championship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to hear you say that uh, Pascal doesn't have to sort of be the best player in the series because he can lean on others. 
I was just listening to a podcast with George Carl, who was talking about the toughness and the grittiness that this Raptors team plays with that I think is a, a hallmark, hallmark of, of their, your success, both last year with Kawhi and this year without him, um, on top of Nurse's brilliance. Um, but Josh, coming back to, to your question about um, what is going to define success here, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh man, I'm trying to go at him about Siakam. Siakam's <laughs> stats are down right now. His they are. stats are consistently <laughs> down in the playoffs. He's he, And he shot 27% last year in 24 games. That's a big sample size for the playoffs. So that's not a pattern? Like What's going on there, Jason? You got Fred Van Vliet leading the way on offense here. He's outscoring everybody. As I but as it, I said, Pascal doesn't need to be. He de- he def- he all he has. He doesn't to need do to hit his threes. He doesn't have. He to does be. after all that MVP talk this year. No, that's then that All Star spot in lieu of Jalen Brown. No, he's got to he's got to pick it up if he wants to retain those spots. Yeah, <laughs> Pascal and Mike, is going to shoot the threes that are going to be open, but he's not going to be that like uh, step back three pointer like the the finesse that Jay, that Jason Tatum has. However, as long as he he's going to be the focal point for most of the offense, so as long as he's going to be aggressive, that's what I want to see for Pascal. Because what that does is going to leave everybody else open. Like you said, Fred Van Vliet, he's on fire. 55% from three, 52% from the free goal. And if you have Pascal going to be the focal point, the Raptors have so many different options. You know what I mean? And yes, like again, Pascal, his his percentage-wise, stats-wise, he's not the best at the moment. But it's not what the stats do really to change the game. It's it's how uh, I guess Nurse kind of uses him as as maybe a decoy most of the time. And and I just feel like Pascal knows his role. He doesn't again. He doesn't really need to be the Kawhi. Whenever when Kawhi left, it was all about this Pascal habit to be that next superstar. I mean, right. look, he's only been playing for what seven years, eight years, and he's already been an All Star. He's a champion. He's a D League champion by by the way. And and he does like again. He doesn't have yeah. to be that all star. So uh, the as, Celtics, as the like, Celtics don't count G League championships on our. In our no, that's not in our. That's not in our. our th- those banners don't hang from our rafters. <laughs> he does have two. He has two rings. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But like again, like if the fact that he's already stepped up from last year, he won most improved, like almost unanimously. And now that he's improving again, that's crazy. And I, we don't need Pascal to be Kawhi. We just need Pascal to be Pascal. So I got some other, I got some other questions for you about, about you know, Mike's, Mike's just trying to get you to admit that Tatum's the best player in the series. I already you, did. You know, I got, you, you oh, got I know. He answered so, it right away. <laughs> exactly. So, so that's, that point is moving. JT's really crazy. Comparing, JT's nuts. Yeah. We're not comparing Siakam to anybody right now, but who's your best player? Do you, is, is it clear who your best player is even on your team? Trey, would you, would you admit it right at the moment? Right now. At the moment, at the moment, uh, all and things bleed, considered, right? Fred has been amazing. The, the fact that one of the biggest talking points is, are we going to pay the man, or what prospects does he have in the offseason? It's clear as day, this guy is a hot topic when it comes to the league, and he's been killing it ever since his child was born in the playoffs last year. He's been solid all season. He's been fantastic this offseason. The guy's the guy's straight fire. Like he's the closest thing we have to a, just a constant answer. Because you know, with with Lowry, a lot of it is not on the stat sheet. Gasol, a lot of it's not on the stat sheet. It's the assist of the assist, the hockey assist, I guess, the space creation. You know, things that you can't really put a label. 
on, on what they're doing. But with Van Fleet, it's straight fire shots, goes toe-to-toe with some of the best point guards. The guy, the guy is just clear as day. The guy where you're lo- watching the game and you're like, who is this guy if you've never watched the Raptors before? He catches everyone's attention and he's always consistent. I've re- Since last year, with the, the bit of a wonky start to the offseason, I haven't seen him falter that much. And right now, he's definitely the most consistent player we have. Is he your best player right now? Yes. Yeah. How how would you advise slowing him down? Uh, well, I wouldn't tell you guys. <laughs> I'm not going to tell them any Boston. I, I have it. I have it on good authority that we have very little influence on uh, Brad Stevens' uh, defensive schemes <laughs> and rotation decision. You have to cut off any access he has to, to shooting the three ball. Either that, or cut down the lane for him to try and get it, try to charge and storm down the paint. Basically, you have to make him not the offensive option. Yeah, I I think two things is one is to try to get him into foul trouble, and three, I think the sure. the size probably matters a lot. So if you have someone like Jalen Brown guarding for Van Vliet, that's probably going to cause a lot of issues. And or uh, I I feel like see this this is the problem with with Boston. I it's so hard to dislike any of the players because i really like marcus smart i really like kemba and jt is on five jalen's great someone like marcus smart he reminds me of lowry where it's like you don't really care about the stats is what he brings on the on the hustle and the heart and like the amount of times that i've seen marcus smart die for a loose ball go for um go for a charge or just you know those those individual plays that don't make it on a stat sheet if you have someone like marcus smart play D on Fred. I feel like someone like him can slow Fred down. So it's either like one, get try to get him to foul trouble, two, put a put bigger body on him like Jalen, and three, Marcus Mark can guard anybody. Plus they both flop. I love Lowry, but he flops. Marcus Marcus Smart never flops. <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about how to slow down Van Vliet. <laughs> it's good to have guys on the team that that flop. Like you want those guys on your team, not on someone else's team. We both yes. have that. And, um, that's, that's true. And, that's very true. <laughs> and Marcus Smart is like he's one of the few guys that we have who plays like Marcus Smart does. I feel like you guys actually have more Marcus Smart type players on your team. Guys who will dive and guys who will get dirty. Van Vliet's one of those guys. I mm-hmm. think that from a coaching perspective, the way you would slow down a player who's who's really good that no one really can slow down. You know, at some point you just do do things that are like tried and true. Like you force him left, you put a bigger defender on him. Um, you know, you 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 make him guard on the other end. The one thing about Van Vliet is, you know, I think the Celtics players are going to look at him, and and you always kind of still look at him and think like he's not that fast or he's not that explosive or you know, mm-hmm. obviously he's he's one of the craftier players in the whole league. Um, I got a whole list of guys that are on like should win the Fred Van Vliet Award each year of of guys who are um, surprising from being late picks in the draft. You guys have another one of those guys like Terrence Davis. Terrence um, Davis, yep. I, I'm yeah. a big fan of his, but I think I think with Van Vliet, like the you hit it on the head, Dre. That this whole series is going to come down to. Like who raises their level of play in the playoffs? Van Vliet every year has done that, and he's gotten even better each year, as the years go on exponentially. So the Celtics have a few of those guys too. That's what it's going to come down to. I don't think anyone on this podcast can say who that's going to be, but we can look at stats and say it's not um, 
Siakam. You know, we can look at a guy like Daniel mm-hmm. Tice and say, like, he doesn't even have really that much run in the playoffs previously to be able to tell something like that. You know, so that's what it's going to play out as because, you know, we both rolled over these teams in the past and, and maybe neither team is that prepared from our previous series for what this series is going to entail. Um, I've got yeah. some questions about like your, your, like who's the worst defender on your team? Or, or maybe you have a response to what I just said. I, I wanted to quickly just add on to what you said there, Josh. Uh, yeah. Because one, one of my favorite things about this series, uh, I mean, it's crazy that, you know, the Celtics and Raptors haven't met in the playoffs before. Um, yes. And especially this matchup is so tantalizing for like so many different reasons. You've got two of, I don't know, top five it, co- coaches in the league. Nick Nurse has been unbelievable for at least the past two or so years now his his accomplishments dating back to the g league i i do i do think merit uh a bit more attention than than uh <laughs> pascal fair, but, uh, fair point, fair point um yeah so you know i think i think celtic fans pretty universally have, have quite a lot of respect for nick nurse you've got um amazing front offices for both teams you've got um, and we in fact had a podcast a month or two ago talking basically that boiled down to Masai Ujiri, Danny Ainge, and one, maybe one other Bob Myers or something as one of them being the best GM mm. in the NBA. Um, and then you've got, you know, going back to Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, uh, Marcus Smart, you just have these big kind of just tough, strong guards that lay it all on the line and i think you know kemba's smaller but he doesn't get enough credit for how scrappy and tough he is defensively he he came with a lot of kind of flags over to boston about his defensive ability but he is bought in he competes on that Mm -hmm. end then you've got you know bigger versatile uh defensive players or or just players in general jalen brown jason tatum pascal siakam ogiana nobi i just think this series has so many kind of cool and interesting matchups um that are going to be and that are going to be fascinating to watch kind of at the player level and then see how the coaches kind of manipulate uh and evolve their their approaches over the course of a series yeah 100 percent agree i i feel like I've said this so many times that the this series is just going to be like a masterclass of chess matches because the number I to me the number one thing about Nurse and uh, Brad Stevens is that they know how to I I guess they they know how to change their games like they 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 have a lot of strategy and they don't just stay with mm-hmm. what's you know true to their game or to the style of play they know. They, basically they just know how to move pieces around and, and so this is just going to be so interesting to watch but to answer the question about the weakest defender trey i don't know if you think it's the same but i feel like if you don't if the opposing team doesn't have like a large player that they have to uh counter with uh with marcus Saul, such as like Embiid or you know uh, vucevic from orlando or something like that i feel like our weakest link at the moment, and you have someone like Daniel Tice, who's very mobile, who's very energetic. I feel like at this moment, Mark, if if Marcus Saul is starting with Daniel Tice, it's gonna. I feel like that is probably the worst part, just because of the mobility that Tice has. Dre, do you do you feel the mm-hmm. same? Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna comment quickly on the the matchups because uh, you guys raised some some great points. The fact that we have two of the best coaches in the league, bar none. 
and the best GMs, ownership, development, all of that. I mean, these are two teams that got by with some really crafty trades, signings. Um, and yeah, in a, in a four-game win series, best of seven, you don't want a coach who's going to be doing the same stuff over and over and over again. So to have two, yeah, to put it uh, to what what have you guys said, uh, at the chess master games, um, two chess players going at it, uh, with Nick Nurse and Brad Stevens, I think it's going to be incredible to watch. One of those matchups, uh, I'm going to agree with you, um, Jason. I think it would be Marcus Hall who shines in other matchups. In this matchup, I don't know if he's going to be the greatest um, defensive force on the court um, compared to who else he's been paired up with in the past. But I think he'll make it work in his own way. But in all honesty, yeah, he's not going to be as defensively sounded as he usually is. Yeah, I feel like the last year, the reason why Masai or Bobby Webster picked up uh, Marcus Saul for that trade is specifically to guard Joel Embiid because we knew yeah. that we were going to face Philly in the, I guess, semifinals in that in that point. But at, at this point, yeah, exactly, eventually. But at now, it's more like. He's there for one more year. I don't personally think that it's either going to be Gasol or Ibaka who is going to be let go. We're not going to probably pay both of them um, mm-hmm. because we're trying to put give the bag to Fevenvliet. So right now, I think yeah, Marcus Gasol might be uh, might be our weakest link. Um, but again, it's not about the stats that he puts up. It's definitely the way that he. Uh, maneuvers the defense um he kind of coordinates everything uh because he's like he's almost like a point guard uh in the center's body so but on the defensive end i feel like one-on-one i do feel like that's the weakest link so what's the rotation that we should expect to see from the raptors um and i mean gasol and and abaka have basically been splitting time would you expect Ibaka to get the majority of the minutes against the Celtics? Yeah, he might be like, uh, if he's not starting, because usually I I have found, you know, uh, until this Lowry um, wrench in the machine happens with his injury, we've gone with the same starting five for the most part. Um, That's just kind of what we do uh, when it comes to the playoffs. Uh, And it's what comes afterwards that's a little bit uh, mismatched. in this series, if Ibaka is not starting, I I think he's going to be like a Lou, a Lou Williams, the sixth man off the bench that kind of just plays the rest of the game because he's got that second wind. And the odd time that he takes a break, we shove maybe Kasal back in or um, whoever's going toe-to-toe with, with your big guys. Uh, I think I'm a big Ibaka fan when he's cold. It's disastrous, but when he's hot, he dominates an entire game and he overtakes it, as we saw, for instance, with his bench roll in the last game. So if he's on fire, I think he's going to be one of our one of our secret weapons to this series because we need him to operate well in this series is what I'm saying. Who else should we expect to see coming off the bench? Norm. uh, Definitely Norman Powell. Yes. Um, I guess I like we don't play very deep. I think we play like eight deep so outside of the starters you got og siakam uh fred kyle and mark coming off the bench would usually be uh abaka uh powell uh rhj sometimes and terrence davis either terrence davis and matt thomas so again i feel like in this scenario when you play someone like when boston who has so many different weapons I feel like Nurse is going to do the same. 
I think that it's not, you know, it, I would be surprised if we stick with the same lineup every single game. I would see, I could see Ibaka coming in the starting lineup. I could see Powell coming into the starting lineup. I could see a lot of different chess matches, chess pieces that are moving around. So that's why I'm so excited for this because it's not going to be a one and done all. We've seen it for so many years when it came, when it came to Dwayne Casey. And all you had to do was guard DeMar DeRozan <laughs> and Kyle Lowry. We've, we've seen it for time and time again. But now it's like, as a Raptors fan, we still don't know what the hell Nurse has in his in his repertoire, you know. So it's going to be the guy's very, going very with high school plays, so like yeah, you never exactly. Know. And this is this is super interesting to me because, like, when I asked you guys who are your worst defenders, the point is that all the guys you named are great defenders. Like even the yeah, rest. Mar- yeah, Marcus saw used to be a defensive player of the year, hundred <laughs> percent. So that's hard. Yeah, it's it's hard to it. That's why it's so hard to say because if you like. As an avid Raptors Raptor watchers, you see this team is not just one pot like one on one defenders. You OG and Siakam are probably our best defenders one on one, but it's just this team of how they coordinate on the on the defensive end. You just see all the switches that they do. It's just it's incredible. So I won't be you you don't be surprised if you see someone like Marcus Saul try to stop a shot from Kemba Walker just because that they all trust each other. Right. Yeah. And so I say that because. Like you could say there may be a mismatch with Kemba and whoever he's guarding. You could say there may be a mismatch with Gasol and whoever he's guarding. But both of those guys are playing their butts off and mm-hmm. obviously have the pedigree defensively. And when you look all the way down your your lineup, your roster, like Matt Thomas would be the guy I'd go at in a mismatch, but he plays six minutes a game. So the point is, like, there are no mismatches. And especially with Hayward out, Stevens is already a little bit behind in terms of what his adjustments are going to be. And it's it's really going to be a slugfest because there simply aren't mismatches to go at, which is what you do first in the playoffs as a coach. So what's next, you know? And yeah. and obviously Nurse with the Coach of the Year award, you know, just just winning that. Maybe he's even got a little bit more momentum. I wonder if Stevens, you know, who I don't even think made the top five of the voting, um, if he thinks about that ever, you know, or or, or if this is a head to head matchup that he's like, I got to prove myself. That I'm better than the coach. I get to go up against the against the coach of the year. I don't know if Brad Stevens ever cares about stuff like that. Brad Stevens is so down to earth and professional. I I think he just does whatever it takes to win that game right there and then, and then moves on to the next one. I don't think he. I I could be wrong, but I I think he's got bigger fish to fry, and I don't. I, don't, I think he's just focused on winning each and every individual game. He's going to do whatever it's going to take. Mike, what do you see? What do you what do you expect to be the Celtics' rotation? Um, expect or hope. Uh, I I also just wanna I just wanna confirm that that I heard you correctly, and I wanna I wanna credit Josh for this observation when we were kind of talking a bit before we started recording. But uh, so Chris Boucher will not be in the rotation. We we don't have to be re-traumatized by his <laughs> inexplicable outburst in the mid-December game. Um, no, no <laughs> in the you, semi- you won't okay, see thank any Chris Boucher. Th- thank goodness. Okay, okay, good. Um, what, a, what about O'Shea Brissett or or Hollis Jefferson? Because they have knee okay. issues. O'Shea O'Shea is out of the bubble, uh, so he's not actually in the lineup anymore. But when it comes to like Boucher. It's either going to it. You'll see him either if it's a blowout in either one of the ways. So if Toronto's leading or, or Celtics leading, you'll, then you'll see Chris Boucher. But he's not going to get any rotation play. And what about Hollis Jefferson's knee? Is he, are you worried about him with your rotation? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, it, I guess in the past he 
like in this last series with the Nets, he didn't really play very often. Like like most of the minutes went to the the those seven with uh, Ibaka and Norm coming off the bench. But again, it, it's it's more like do we need that energy boost? So RHJ is like a giant Marcus Smart. He's he's not the uh, for you the take love that of back. You take that back. <laughs> I know for real. Do not besmirch Marcus Smart's name with okay. RHJ. Okay, I, I guess I haven't watched. I haven't watched. He's more enough. like Tupac than Marcus Smart. He's more like Tupac. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I guess. Okay. I haven't seen enough uh, Boston Celtics games to actually put the comparison together. But I, as energy wise, I'd, I, that's what that's what the comparison is. I hope to God that RJ doesn't shoot a three ever again. But he's just there for distru- disturbance. He's just there to grab like offensive rebounds. He's really really good at that, and to just put a spark of energy in there. But as as like a like a rotation player as like the top seven rotation guys he won't i I, honestly i don't think dre you could be on the same boat as i am or not but i don't think rha is going to have that many minutes uh unless we absolutely had to yeah i don't think so he um he's he's all right (laughs) let's leave it at that (laughs) yeah um to, to go to go back to adam's question on the on the celtics rotation what i would i mean obviously you're gonna get Tatum, Kemba, Jalen, and Marcus Smart are going to be playing like 32 minutes plus per game, um, barring foul trouble or or any other kind of variables in there. Um, Tice will play as many minutes as he can until he gets in foul trouble. Uh, I don't know if you guys are aware, but Daniel Tice legitimately, this is not like Celtic sour grapes, legitimately gets the worst possible whistle in the nba um he's some he somehow like walks next to a guy they fall on him and he's <laughs> called for a foul it's amazing um, yeah mike mike i was texting adam last night about how brilliant it was that stevens because he got his first foul 30 seconds into the game stevens pulled him and he didn't play him for the entire rest of the first quarter and i was <laughs> yeah, like this is what we need to do every single game just don't play him in the first just quarter to keep him in the second he's, half yeah he's only got three quarters worth of fouls anyway <laughs> yeah um how has how has ennis banter been playing for you guys he's i mean he's he's solid he he gives a consistent i don't know 10 to 20 minutes depending on the game but i don't I don't see him. I was just, but I don't actually see him having a big role in this game because he gives you, he gives the Raptors an excuse to have Gasol on the floor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, exactly. And I, so I was, I was about to say, I, I actually see this as a big series for Grant Williams, who is strong enough that he can basically neutralize the, the, mo- you know, modest role that Gasol plays on the offensive end from a points, you know, uh, direct bucket getting perspective. Grant Williams is way smarter than his age. Um, so can actually kind of keep up with the mental game with Gasol, which is, is really high praise for a rookie. Uh, but, it, but with Grant, it's actually fair, I think. Okay. So I, I see him as, as playing uh, maybe 20, 25 minutes a game. Um, I think, you know, Brad Wanamaker is, is our kind of steady backup point guard. He's going to continue playing whatever he played 20 or so minutes a game, 15 to 20. Um, and then, uh, what I'm afraid is going to happen is that Shemi Ojale is going to play regular minutes cause he's got the, um, you know, physical, physical makeup for, of that kind of defensive versatility, uh, switchability, all of that stuff. Uh, what I'd prefer to see is Romeo Langford get those minutes, uh, which are going to be a little bit more hit or miss. But 
yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Shemi Ojale fan. I, I did want to know if we, you know, tried to build a trade around Shemi Ojale for Norm Powell, how much extra first round picks the Celtics would have to throw in before you say yes. <laughs> See, we, we just, <laughs> I think we always thank Milwaukee when it comes to Norman Powell, because yes. we traded away Grievous Vasquez for Norman, for the draft pick, for the draft pick of Norman Powell and also for OG Adenobi, who like, Oh my goodness. That's picks. amazing. So that, and then I think, you know, the last game that Grievous played was in 2016. So for Ooh. Norm, I don't know. I, I haven't seen semi Ojale for, I guess he's ever. great. <laughs> he's excellent. No, he's, yeah. We need some Danny Ainge. We need some Danny Ainge negotiation speak right now. He's somehow, you know, <laughs> remember when he was like talking about how good Jeff Green was, how great an asset that was. That was uh, true salesmanship. Semi is mediocre at guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo man to man, and that's basically it. You really don't want him doing anything. Mm-hmm. Definitely not dribbling or trying God. to feed other people. Yeah, against Giannis, he'll he'll shut him down, literally. But then against anyone else, he'll he'll be guarding you in the corner, and you can just blow by a middle, go all the way to the cup. It's great. Okay, um, so, Josh, what would you add or change your other rotations? Um, I think you know, as Bill Simmons said in his most recent pod, you're going to see a lot of Brad Wanamaker in this series, and I don't know if it's a good thing or not. He's in my camp with that. Um, but with all the little guys and strong guards you have, Wanamaker is definitely going to be out there, and, and we'll see if he plays like he's 31 or if he plays like a rookie. Um, so. I also think Norman Powell, I mean, he's the guy that I wish I had from your team. If I could pick a role player from your team, I would pick Norman Powell. I coached against him uh, when I was coaching at the college level, and he was at UCLA. He, wow. he's been, he was an underrated player then. He could shoot the three then, and he killed us. I was with Fresno State. He killed us in that game and was kind of like the guy we didn't plan for. Um, and then he's always been you know, just a fighter, a guy like a self-made player, right? Um, but he has in the past has been kind of in and out of favor. Maybe this was more with Dwayne Casey. I don't know. You can answer this, but I'm wondering, like, I think he's averaging what 16 a game right now or something crazy. Uh, maybe that's just yeah, the last few games. Right so yeah. yeah. Why has he been in and out of the rotation in the past? Why was he out? Well, Dwayne Casey loves going back to basics. And unfortunately basics was, uh, DeRozan, you ISO. Uh, this guy, you go to the wing. Body died. It was the same crap over and over and over again. So I think when you have somebody like Nick Nurse, who's willing to experiment, that's when something like Playoff Powell comes out in the Milwaukee Bucks series, and it's like, okay, this guy's actually really good. Which you know we get, we have signs of that already. But this is where you, you get people to shine when. Throughout the, the season, you know, you're facing a new team every single next game, except for the odd, you know, double headers. So when you have the back to back like this and you can pit people up and make uh, favorable matchups, somebody like Powell truly shines. So then throughout this entire season, Powell, uh, to, to what I've seen, uh, Powell has been fantastic. And I don't mean any disrespect because I appreciate what Casey did as a developmental coach but if we had something like casey stymie the team we may not have seen a championship last year we may not have seen growth in players like ananobi or powell or even a threat van bleed we might have seen a lot of imbalance which this this is a testament to a great organization and you guys know what that's like being boston fans where you see somebody like a jalen brown let's be honest if he was on a team 
where he was treated as the draft pick that he was, maybe he wouldn't shine the way that he is now. And look at him now. You know what I'm saying? So all it takes is the right, the right management. And you get somebody like Powell who, who clearly shines. Again, if we had Casey still, I don't know so much. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, having having uh, I've thought about that a lot with Jalen Brown, having the right management structure and coaching uh, in place enabled him to grow. You know, if what if he and Josh Jackson uh, were switched and he ended up on Phoenix, Jalen Brown ended up on Phoenix and, and Jackson ended up with the Celtics, how, how different could their careers have looked? to circle back a little bit because you you guys kind of already answered this question uh but who do you who do you think for the raptors is is ultimately going to be the x factor in the series i i to me i think it's going to be norman powell honestly still? Okay. uh yeah i still think so i mean <laughs> i i saw this uh one tweet from uh, a raptor fan he's still the reigning player of the month <laughs> so which true. is which is going for him that's, uh that's he's true. he's hitting over 40 percent from three in the in the playoffs and yeah i i feel like he's he's quite the axe factor think hopefully hopefully he's coming off the bench um i don't historically speaking i don't think powell has been too beneficial when he comes out as a starting lineup but when he comes off the bench you definitely can tell the the different like it the game almost speeds up when Powell's in there because he has such a fast first step that you don't really know what 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 happened like he's from the three-point line and then all of a sudden he goes and he, he's dunking on you it's and then other ways like yeah. yeah exactly and then other you know the nurse put makes a lot of uh, fantastic plays for Powell in the corner and he's been really good in the corner three pointers not so much around the perimeter but corner threes he's been really fantastic so when it comes to x factors i feel like Powell is definitely deserving as as that role for sure what about you dre you sounded a little surprised by jason's uh, answer not not surprised uh, as much as uh not surprised in the sense that, uh, you know, I don't think Powell's a good pick, but I, I was expecting Jason, I guess, because of his earlier answers, to maybe pick, oddly enough, also off the bench, maybe an Ibaka, because of what mm-hmm. he can do with uh, against your bigs. Uh, but then again, as much as I like Ibaka, he can get cold, and Powell rarely gets cold, not to the extent that, that Ibaka does. So maybe it is Powell. But uh, just to be a little bit different, I'm going to see Ibaka, who... Uh, defensively is fantastic as long as he doesn't get into technical foul or uh, personal foul trouble because, um, you know, his his temper can kind of run him astray, especially in the playoff series. I think uh, his offensive presence is fantastic. His, his rebounding game is fantastic. 
Uh, that's basically what we need on a defensive front against a team like Boston, which is extremely well-rounded. We need somebody who can be the grit and grind on, on both sides and occasionally have that three ball. So when Ibaka is at the top of his game, he's literally like, if you guys play NBA 2K, it's like playing against Che, like, oh, okay, here we go. But uh, when he's cold, it's like when I play NBA 2K, and it's like nothing's hitting, <laughs> I get sucked out, I'm just garbage. So um, I'm not that bad, I swear. But the point is, even though he's a little unreliable, maybe for four games, maybe for up to seven, he might be the X Factor. Can I kind of say, or can I guess who uh, your X Factor would be when it comes to the Celtics? Because I feel like if if anyone scares me, and I don't know, Dre, if you're on the same page, but I feel like the, if anyone scares me the most, and if, I feel like Jason Tatum is going to get his own. I feel like Jalen Brown, he's been he's been playing fantastic too. But I but to me, I think the biggest X factor for the Rapt for the Celtics against the Raptors is Kemba, because historically the Raptors yeah. have struggled a lot with speedy and small point guards, and he's all and in the in his Charlotte days, he's like a proven Raptor killer. So like in in the playoffs, mm-hmm. Kemba has been what he's been scoring twenty four points a game, forty nine percent from the field goal, um, and against against the Raptors, he's been like. 35% from three point range. Like he's, he's been playing fantastic against the Raptors. So I guess to me, Kemba is like, he scares me. He scares me the most. The nice thing about the Philadelphia series was that, um, they, Joel Embiid just would, was not allowed to basically play outside of the lane. So his man, the, the, uh, would like usually Tice would give a pick and Kemba, it just freed up all of our wings, including, and including Kemba yeah. for open three pointers and Kemba mm-hmm. just got the opportunity to shoot and shoot and shoot and get his legs back. He yeah. he had uh, a knee injury that was uh, definitely concerning when uh, the pandemic hit and everything shut down and was still somehow concerning when the bubble started. But uh, after some load management, he seems to be doing really well. Um, and now he seems to have his confidence back as well. So, yeah, I think that you should be a little bit scared of Kemba mm-hmm. just seeing the way he's coming off of this Philadelphia series. Uh, to me, in terms of replacing Gordon Hayward, you really need Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown to score like 75, 80 points plus per game, at least against a Raptors team that I... Which they can. I, oh, which yes. they can, but they don't... They still... I still have a question as to whether they have figured out how to kind of dance the the moves that are required with three high-level scorers like that about who takes shots when in a way that allows them to all get theirs. I think there well, can be... And they get along really well, so it's not an issue about that. But can but, they all uh, put the, the ball in the bucket enough each game is the question that I have. One of the weird things about this Celtics team all season... Um, and this is partly because they've they've kind of had, you know, injury fits and starts with one player or another. Uh, that's something the Raptors certainly know about this year as well. Um, but th- the Celtics really, when they got into their best grooves and they got into a really good one, you know, what was it, late? January, February, uh, <laughs> that not so coincidentally was when Jason Tatum was kind of uh, going out of his mind playing like a top five player in the league, which, which he's not quite yet, but that's, that is where his 
the star on his compass seems to be pointing. Um, but we've always had one of our kind of key four guys. And I say that that excludes smart, even though he's actually clearly one of our key guys. Um, but one of, one of our, our four main scoring threats was injured. So while I, I expressed concerns about not having Gordon Hayward earlier, uh, um, and I agree, I agree to a degree with what you said, Adam, I do think we're, we're generally better at figuring out when only three of our guys are healthy than we've shown an ability to figure out when everyone's healthy. And additionally, around Kemba, on offense, he's, he's dangerous, as you mentioned, and, and I'm not sure who slows them down, especially if this ankle injury is an issue for Lowry. Um, the, on the flip side of the ball, uh, despite his hustle and being, uh, I think, top five the last four years or so in charges drawn, Kemba Walker is just too small. Um, and so that's a, a big concern. We like to hide him on a weak uh, offensive player, and I'm not sure if that player exists on your team. It's OG? Be interesting. That was what I was just going to get to. I was, it'll be interesting to see if they put him on OG Ananobi, who I just have loved since his time at Indiana. Um, I wonder if they'll they'll try him on on um, Van Vliet a little bit, um, or if they stick him on Lowry and just say guard, you know, don't let him get by you, and and hopefully Lowry's wheel is is slows him down enough. Yeah, I think he's going against Lowry. I think Van Vliet's going to be covered by Smart, and then I think those are pretty clear. And you got Ananobi and Siakam for Jalen Brown and Tatum in that order. I think the, I think I mean obviously you're both teams are switching everything so. Yeah, you know, it doesn't really matter too much. Um, funny, funny thing about OG, t- he's held Tatum to twenty percent shooting. So I would, I would see a lot of. OG. We don't want to hear those types. <laughs> <of things. laughs> those, those, those are things that are important, though. Like especially when it comes to OG. And yes, agreed that he doesn't really play. He's not the focal point when it comes to the offensive end. But OG is hella strong. And he's he's like surprisingly strong. So yeah, right. don't be surprised when you see him in the paint, um, like kind of bodying his way to like a free layup and just getting offensive rebounds because OG is so much stronger than than his like twenty three year old body. Yeah, but if your guys if the, if the Raptors' offense is predicated around OG bully balling his way in the post, then I'm all, I'm good with that. That's, 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 that's let's do it. <laughs> let let's sign me up for you know. 48 minutes yeah, of that yeah um it, it's it's one of the yeah it's one of those like if if you see og kind of get an offensive rebound that's probably where his offense is going to come from but we're we're not going to be like yo iso og every like you know second play uh you know coming down the floor so yeah i, I agree with you there and that's the one guy in in the raptors lineup that cannot shoot the three right i mean no, siakam's got a lower percentage 30 percent from from the three point in in this in this bubble, he's actually been pretty pretty consistent. Stat, like statistic wise, I guess I guess not. But I haven't I haven't really looked those to the numbers. But I mean, after watching, okay, let me of, let me ask you like a gut check. Okay, Siakam's shooting a three, and Anunoby shooting a three from the corner. Who do you feel like it's more likely to go in with? Siakam. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So that's so you'd think maybe we could hide Kemba Walker on a guy that can't shoot like that, but I think he'd get bodied. Um, Josh, and on the year, OG is shooting 39% from three. He is. Yep. Not bad. Um, and, and the interesting matchup with the OG, too, on Tatum. Tatum sometimes, at times, I think it's more because of youth than anything else and maturity, he, he does have a tendency to be soft sometimes. And so 
like if a no Ananobi can really get on him like that, I could see Tatum like we could maybe watch him uh through his body language mature in this series, you know, from from having some soft moments to, you know, becoming the guy he's most likely gonna become, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of his mentality and his grit. I have, a, I have a question for you guys. By the the team that comes out of this series, do you think the team that team will win the NBA championship? I've been saying the Clippers are going to win it, but uh, they're not looking great right now. <laughs> the Clippers, yeah. As uh, as a guy who wanted Kawhi to succeed, um, yeah, they're not looking too great right now. But this uh, off season has been looking really good for underdogs. So the Mavericks. Uh, OKC just won their second game, so now they're tied with the Rockets. Uh, the Jazz are doing really well. So you you never know. I think, and I say the underdog because whoever wins this wins and goes to the next round, which is either the Bucks or the Heat, which, let's be honest, is probably going to be the Bucks. So there's a good chance that either of these teams facing right now, the Raptors or the Celtics, could make it to the finals. And depending on who they face in the finals, that's all I'm saying. It's actually a possibility. <laughs> I I I feel like oh okay. I feel like it's more possible. I feel it's more possible that the winner of the series could win the championship. But at the start when the bubble was kicking back off, we were talking about this. I was leaning towards a Lakers Bucks finals. I still feel like that's the most likely finals. I still think and and we internally on our side disagree on this. I think, frankly, LeBron is is still the player I most want for a mm-hmm. seven game series today. Um, and mm-hmm. I think Giannis is clearly the best player in the East. Um, of course. And the fact that they lost their first game to Orlando does not change the fact that I think Milwaukee is a clear and deserving favorite over both of both of our uh, esteemed teams. <laughs> I think there's some recency bias with these these two sweeps over bad teams, and that should not dictate uh, an overconfidence oh, on course. either of our parts. Of course, I want to clarify that that's not what I said. <laughs> no, no, listen, the, the, Dre, it's a good question. I think the answer is no. But what you do have in this series is kind of two of the most underrated teams or less thought of teams yes. exactly. for that question, right? Exactly. And so, so these are the two teams who their fan bases probably think there's a, a good chance of that. Um, fan bases historically have a tendency to be biased. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm joking when I say that, obviously. So um, there's what we do have in this series is two teams that play really good defense. I think because of that, not only would we potentially have like a 1990s throwback series where scores could be in the 90s or around 100 for each team, um, but I also think this is is lining up like a historically epic series for both of these franchises for the Eastern Conference as a whole. Like I think this is going to be a really memorable yeah. series. It is going to literally be punch for punch. You know whose players are going to actually step up in the playoffs and and take over. And yeah, I'm I'm super excited about this. Like the we had the Sixers. Um, we had some Sixer podcasters come on. They were nice guys like you guys. And, you know, I didn't feel like much towards them. I'm like fired up. I'm ready to go at you guys right now. Like this, this is going to be that kind of a series. 
Josh, yeah. I, I, I'm not satiated with our conversation around big men. Uh, the, Mike asked about the X factor, and, and I think, Mike, you, you feel like Serge Ibaka is certainly the X factor in this series. I know that Ibaka has dominated the Celtics at points, um, and, and the Celtics have had a lot of trouble with Marcus Gasol as well. Um, if Ennis Cantor is playing in this series, I think that it's the wrong move, and it's because uh, Gasol is backing people down and just using his body in a way that Tice can't handle. Um, I'm so hopefully Cantor does not play in the series. Hopefully we can uh, get Marcus soul out of the game as well. And, and, but uh, Josh, Mike, I was asking Mike, well, what about Robert Williams? I still hold out hope that Rob Williams time Lord will uh, play a role in this series and, and make it be a difference maker. And I recall one of the regular season games, him guarding Ibaka exceptionally well, at least for a short time when he, was aware of what was going on on the court and what he was supposed to be doing. Um, Mike was saying he feels like the uh, that Rob Williams has played himself out of the rotation after this series. Josh, do you see him getting an opportunity here and, and being able to make a difference? Yeah, I think that he kind of played himself out of the last couple Philly games and they decided Cantor was better and Cantor's always better against teams that don't box out. Uh, Ibaka, historically, not as good as Gasol with that. You know, Gasol will always box you out. So I agree, Cantor is not the choice necessarily, although, you know, we, we know he's going to be in the right place all the time. I think Williams will get a shot, and most of that is due to one of my biggest concerns of us, which is Brad Stevens still hasn't really figured out what his rotation is from the bench. Um, and, and while the Raptors can play lots of guys and be versatile, they know, Nurse knows who he's playing when, I feel like, more than Stevens does game to game and it's kind of like if romeo langford plays well maybe he'll get some more minutes um if ojale doesn't play well he's still gonna get minutes maybe you know and the robert williams thing things are up in the air always with that let's compare the co- coach's choices i think i think stevens you know knows roughly where he's gonna pull from but we've got a much worse bench than the raptors let's just call it what it is i think yeah if you look at yeah. you look at this six you look at the sixth and seventh guys, and, and maybe they're they're somewhat equal. But you start looking at like the eighth guy right there; it's it's not even close. I feel like. we go. Far. Yeah, it's like Norm Powell versus Wanamaker or Grant Williams. Like, who do you want to put on our side there? It's you know, it's pretty yeah, clear I, which way you'd lean. <laughs> if you guys have any connections to your coaching staff, the the way to beat us is to get one of our wings in foul trouble. You know, one of our top three guys. <laughs> no, oh, it, uh, advanced, advanced scouting insights from Josh Matinko. I'm dead serious. Our foul foul out our limited. best players. Get, the, get, get our best players off the court. <laughs> our rotation is so limited that, that if one of our main three guys gets in foul trouble, we're really in trouble. We're probably playing Carson Edwards or something like that. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah, I think, I think Stop that. Never, never, never even joke about such a thing, Josh. <laughs> Carson Edwards better not ever see the floor of the series. Yeah, what are the chances Carson Edwards is the next Van Vliet? Uh, any other questions? <laughs> <laughs> Josh, you had, Josh, you wanted to check in with some some old pals or something, right? Yeah. So uh, one of the guys I coached at Fresno State is one of your players, Paul Watson. Uh, coached him his freshman oh. year. I was a graduate assistant, so you know it's not like I was giving him individual instruction in the games. Um, but you know, working with him every day, and you know, he he was always a good dude, real quiet. Um, one conference player of the year as a freshman, 
and then uh you know i was gone four years later but you know as a senior to me it just seemed like he hadn't taken his game to the next level he seems kind of like the same player um that he was freshman year and haven't kept up with him much since then how's he been what do you guys what do raptors fans think of paul watson he played uh, mostly garbage minutes, but I know that he's a standout star when it comes to the D League, like on the 905 team. Um, but when it comes to... Yeah, did he win a D League title too? Did he win a D League title? I don't think so. That was a joke, Jason. Jason, you're like the D League reporter here. It doesn't It doesn't look like he has. No, no, because he only joined the 905 in 2019. So, yeah, but no. if anything, I, f- I feel like he's he's a good, like, you know, but from, from whatever we've seen the players love him like whenever he was something into the game like any time that he touches the ball or he like gets a athletic dunk because he's really athletic my god um the the you know the entire bench like goes up and screams and it has his arms up so like i he's not he's not going to really do be a difference maker in in this series um hopefully in the next hopefully someone picks him up uh but yeah it's 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 always good to see paul watson come out come out and and show if his athleticism what did, I mean, do the fans just not know much not about really. him? He hasn't played yeah, much? Not or? Really. He doesn't really play very yeah. much. He, it's, it's basically what it yeah, It's really to. mostly in, in the 905 for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Raptors fans are kind of used to uh, the two-way role that a lot of 905 players have with us, especially because we have such a, a a love for the 905 and the D-League and um, our, our success there, which seems to have seeped into our success currently as of late. So... Um, even if we don't recognize, uh, or the general Raptors populace uh, doesn't recognize who these uh, faces are just popping in and out, we're like, hey, they're from our D-League team. We love them anyway. So, you know, they always get support from us. Uh, what other questions do you guys have for, uh, that my, we can answer? My last question, honestly, is how do you stop Tatum? If I had a hotline to Nick Nurse and Adrian Griffin and everyone on the sideline for the Raptors, how do you stop Jason Tatum? I th- I think you do. I mean, Josh Josh touched on this a little bit already. You you certainly put a physical uh, def- athletic defender, someone like an OG Onanobi or or, uh, or Pascal Siakam, on him. I think you you kind of invite him into crowds a little bit. He still can f- try to force his offense a bit too much. He can still pass. Uh, his passing is not where it needs to be for him to be the level player he he uh intends to be um so there's opportunity to get him to force bad shots um that's more likely than him kind of turning the ball over on bad passes um and that's kind of it you know if you if you get if if he if he's off he'll he'll kind of try to find his offense through it so if you can if he's off and you keep him off that's that's your bet. Uh, if you relax at any point, he'll he might start hitting a couple yeah. shots, and he can get in a rhythm in a second. So, the refs will play a role. Also, he has a tendency to complain when he's not getting calls and and not run immediately back on defense. And I can imagine, depending on on the refs and how they they call this, that OG could because he's so physical um, play a role in making things difficult for Tatum. Well, he's also not getting calls that he wants to get. Yeah, Adam, that's that's the example exactly that I was going to use, twin brother. He's 
he's not mentally weak, but he's mentally young sometimes. And he's not soft, but he has soft tendencies sometimes. You know, so just having strong physical guys who are no nonsense and and are going to play their butts off like on an OG, like uh, going against guys like that for him, I think he will have a tendency to maybe whine to the refs a little bit. And he will have a tendency to have to work through that mentally during the game. So he always seems to somehow, you know, after not running back on defense, well, you know, he he's as effective as he needs to be and fast as he needs to be when he's getting off that sidestep three-pointer. You know, so he's he's always there when we need him to yeah. be. Um, but, you know, you guys do have the championship pedigree, like like you said. And I think you play the right way that would cause problems to a star that's still growing into, you know, that stardom mentally. Um, I guess a follow-up yeah. question I have is in the bubble where there is no home or away, yeah, you have the digital fans. It's not really the same thing um, where I, I'm just going to be blunt. The refereeing has been shocking. Do you think that's going to become a liability with somebody like Tatum when it comes to pulling out the wins where, as you guys said, he's effectively leading the team right now. Um, so he, he is very important. So is this a potential liability where there aren't thousands of Celtics fans in the crowd? The refereeing, again, has been appalling. Do you think this is going to come to bite Tatum and the Celtics in the butt sometime this series or the next upcoming series that the Celtics may play? No, because Tatum will do enough to play well. And because he is the best player in this series, I don't think the refs... Uh, will be able to, uh, they'll call it so that he can stay in games. And everybody's seeing how the refs have been, so hopefully the NBA is getting feedback from broadcasters all the way on down the line. But it never changes things. I mean, if you've watched the NBA for long enough, you know people like um, Tony Brothers and, uh, oh, what's his face? The guy, uh, the, the ref who was around, he's been around for like decades. He just retired a few years ago. Bald, he's like infamous. Oh, Joey Crawford. Know, Jason, what's his name? Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Somebody like Joey Crawford who could get by with almost anything. Like I, that's not going to change much. I don't think like that, all that stuff that went down with Chris House Porzingis, I don't think that's going to change anything in this bubble when it comes to the refereeing. I think the, uh, the idea that you'd be looking at the, the refereeing in the series as a potential advantage is a distraction to the Raptors. You know, I, I, I don't think that that's going to be different for one team than for another necessarily i don't i don't you know not, my, my inner coach is coming out like that's a distraction looking at the <laughs> refs or whining about the refs like what are you doing exactly yeah, exactly which nothing speaking, can be done about that speaking of the inner coach thing i think uh my, my other follow-up question is if this is not the year of the celtics how explosive do you think somebody like tatum could be where let's be honest his ceiling we don't even know where it is yet how explosive is he going to be in follow-up seasons and where do you think the peak is who do you think he's going to be basically as good as when it comes to like the the best of the league right now do you think he's the upcoming Giannis upcoming I I had a whole uh segment sometime and I don't know what feels like years ago but it was uh, probably November <laughs> talking about how Tatum was was like the best thing possible for the NBA because he he's I think primed to be the Giannis foil in the east for for years to come I think mm. I think they're going to be the two best players in in the conference um personally 
Uh, I and and I think I think his trajectory is is very clearly going to be a top five MVP candidate uh, on a perennial basis for at least like a you know a five year peak of his career if not longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean he's he's doing every he's checking off every kind of box in his in the way he progresses and all he really needs to do is a have a bit more opportunity and and get a bit more refinement and kind of being the and he's he's doing this. He, he does it like over the course of ten days. He evolves and shows notable improvement. But in a, he needs to finish stronger around the hoop. Uh, he needs to be better. And he was starting to do this before the bubble, and then he's not quite been as good at it again. But this is one of the things he was doing in February: is like jump stopping as he goes into traffic, letting letting kind of the the defense move around him as once he stops and then going up strong and finishing through contact mm-hmm. once you know he's a year away from being able to do that consistently already uh and the other thing is operating as a primary ball handler in the pick and roll um and actually setting up you know seeing the defense what the defense is going to do get two or three steps ahead of it and setting up you know some of those really tough off angle passes um and, and start, you know, playing chess when the defense is playing checkers type of stuff that right now there's, you know, LeBron does it better than anybody. I don't think Tatum's ever going to get to that level of a passer, but he can get, he can close some of the ground as a passer. I think he can be better, a better passer and not too long than like someone like Kawhi currently is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, yeah, yeah, I think, I think Tatum can be really, really good. Like he's going to be top five, top three MVP candidate consistently for in a few years those limitations that you talked about mike i think are why he's not as much of like a luka Doncic type of top five player in the league but more of like a kevin durant type of guy like he's Mm -hmm. not the guy who's going to take your offense to be number one because of his decision making the way he sees the you know the magic of the court like he's a guy who's gonna always have to work on that but he's so tall that that outside jumper is always going to be there yeah, um, he can slide up positions, and I think later in his career he'll slide to the five in small ball lineups. You see him now already at the end of games. He's the guy above everybody else getting rebounds, just using his length. His body's starting to fill out, and you know, obviously, there's rumors that and conspiracy theories that he's actually six ten instead of six eight. Uh, I don't know if that's more online or just within my family, but uh, no, that's online. That's on Twitter. <laughs> oh, then it must be real. <laughs> Legit people on Twitter are saying that. Um, I would add that he's that he's going to get stronger as he gets older. He's already a good defender as a team defender, a really good defender, um, and he can hold his own because of his length one on one when he's not getting bullied. But he'll continue to get stronger, which will improve that. And there was a shot he took at the end of the last Philly game that made me go, "Oh, Dame Lillard range is not out of the question for him, right. especially with his height. You never know, right?" So there's three. This is interesting because this is part of the evolution of basketball. I've been thinking a lot about this. There's three guys uh, that shoot from the space that you you know used to think was not a scoring area in between Steph the three Curry. point line and the half court line, yeah. right? Steph Curry, Trey Young, Dame Lillard, mm-hmm. and now it's like everyone's going to go into the off season tell their trainers, "I want to be able to shoot from that line," you know, and and we'll see who ends up being next in that group. Um, but speaking of Doncic, you know, I, I think you guys have nothing to worry about with Kyle Lowry's ankle. Uh, you know, seeing what we saw from Doncic, apparently the medical staff and the bubbles are doing amazing things right now with that injury. <laughs> well, the fact that they don't have to fly around anywhere other so that he can be off his feet. 
But um, I, I just wanted to one one other thing on the Tatum thing, and this this actually goes back to your earlier question, Dre, too, about yeah. the the refs and the distraction and, and and stuff like that. Um, I think I think what's important to or what what's so kind of fundamental to the this Celtics team and and frankly the the key difference between this team versus last year's team is that all of the eggs this year are put in the basket of guys that, you know, Josh, Josh rightly noted that Tatum has some kind of tendon tendencies around mental weakness, but like Tatum Brown smart um, in particular, those three are, are like winners in the truest sense. They're, they're wired to without quit. They, they like see an obstacle, they confront it. They might not succeed so they might lose this series, but if they do, they're going to come back even stronger. They're going to focus on the right things, put in the work and get better and grow in the, in the face of challenge. And so, you know, you look at, I, I don't see Tatum. He has the, the right mindset to overcome, you know, if he does have kind of a, a bad moment of weakness and emotional reaction in a particular game, he'll probably come out that much stronger in the next game. If the series doesn't overall go well, he's going to be that much better next year. So um, I think that both speaks to uh, the composition of the team over the course of the series and the growth of our key players kind of looking out, projecting over the next few years. To bring it back to this series, um, I think Raptor fans will remember Jason Tatum saying that there isn't one player that can stop him. It's more so the team that that stops him. He thinks that Toronto is the one that the, the team that throws him so many different wrenches to to stop him. And so the stats wise, in the playoffs, Jason Tatum has scored twenty seven points per game against Toronto. Though he scored only sixteen point five field goal percentage, forty eight in the playoffs. Field goal percentage versus Toronto, thirty seven. Field goes three three point wise playoffs forty five against Toronto thirty six. So I'm just throwing a wrench out there for the Toronto Raptor fans listening in. Still, I feel like if there's anybody in any team that can still stop Jason Tatum, I feel like it's going to be the Toronto Raptors. I'm I'm so excited for this uh, series, man. Hey, you guys, you guys hold them to sixteen points and whatever field goal percentages, and uh, if we win at a seventy five percent clip like we did over the regular season, yeah. I'm all for it. It's Let's go, season, baby. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> bring it we're taking shots you can't you can't give your regular season stats and then go against me it's with true. our regular season but, record but as toronto <laughs> raptors fan we've seen no merit when it comes to the regular season we've we've beat cleveland four times in a row in the regular season and then got swept in the playoffs so there's really no merit to it for us well we don't need to relive that i mean jason i love i love how you saved that stat for the end i didn't know that i do think that is an important stat um uh, you know, and and just the strategic, the strategery of you saving that stat for the end, I, I really appreciate. Um, that was my uh, in the in the the bullet in the chamber right there. Yeah, and Dre, you know, like coming with the jokes in the beginning, you know, when you were talking about Kyle Lowry and and how he's going to shake off the ankle injury by saying if his eye popped out, like he's still good because he's got his left <laughs> eye, and you know, obviously that's a that's like a double entendre joke because you know that his teammate in college, Alan Ray. Uh, Alan Ray, former Celtic, actually did have his eye pop out during a game. Really? Um, I actually didn't know that. So, <laughs> you know, just just love what you guys are bringing to the podcast. It's been great having you on. That was accidental, but I appreciate it. 
Before we end, we need predictions. I want to start with Dre and then go to Jason. Who wins this series and in how many games? If I have to be completely honest and observe all possible biases, I'm gonna get less flack from you guys than I am from my own, but I, I've gotta be I've gotta be real. I'm predicting it's gonna to go to seven, but I'm predicting Celtics. Jason. Uh, I don't fault Dre for saying that. I feel like if there is any team that we're scared the most, it would be the Celtics. And the fact that we've never played you guys in the, in the playoffs is ridiculous. So it's like you can't really compare to anything. You can't say we lost to the Celtics, you know, three years ago or whatnot. And it, it's just this is so completely new. But yeah. I feel like out of everything, when you when you put opposite oranges, you got Jason Taylor, Pascal, Kyle, Kemba, you know, Smart, Fred Van Vliet. There's so many t- nurse and Brad Stevens there's so many uh, comparisons that you can do but the one biggest caveat is the bench so I'm going to say Raptors in 7 Josh and then Mike I'm going I almost said Raptors in 7 but I'm going Celtics in 7 I'd love to do another podcast with you guys when you're at full strength and and the series is 2-2 this is definitely a 7 game series it's going to be epic Mike yeah, I I'm I'm feeling the Celtics on this one. The Celtics have always managed to play well. I feel like I, I think you guys are right. I think I think the uh, the Raptors team defense is obviously going to be oriented around mucking things up for Tatum, and I think they've got the length and versatility to do so. Uh, Jalen Brown Brown had a really strong series, especially the first couple of games against Philly. Uh, Kemba is looking really as good as he's looked all season. Um, I think those two are going to are gonna be able to kind of put in the points against uh, the second best defense in the league in the regular season and uh, Celtics in six. Despite the fact that the Celtics completely blew out the Raptors in the last regular season game in the bubble, I think that was a just a bad shooting performance by the Raptors. I think the Hayward injury is a big factor. I am going to say Raptors in seven. Jason, Dre, thank you so much for joining us. For Josh and Mike, this is Adam saying thank you for listening. Yeah, and shout out to Adrian Griffin, former Celtic on the Raptors coach and staff. Go put your name in the hat for that Sixers job, man. Show them what Celtic pride is really about. That's a wrap. Is that what you guys <laughs> say at the end of your podcast? That's, That's a wrap. Right. <laughs> yeah.